In our last lecture, we look at the gender perspective. In this lecture, the last lecture in our series on managing modern government, we are going to be looking at future prospects. What would the future of working in government look like? Recent events illustrate people's fears about the value of their work amidst the acute employment crisis, widespread talk about globalization, and what a post-COVID-19 world would look like. In this climate, there's been large redundancies and layoffs. No one denies that there's a sense of insecurity, real or imagined, in governments globally. The debate about the relative importance of its various causes is a different story. Is it a fear of the unknown in the face of the transformation of work itself, of the social value of work? Is it a shortage of jobs due to weak economic growth? Is it a deterioration in the conditions of employment brought about by unfair division between labor and capital? Let's look at the facts. Over the past 200 years, the evolution of work, labor law, and work-related institutions have not only made wage-earning employment the most widespread form of employment, but it's also turned into its standard. The very notion of work has thus become increasingly identified with the standard represented by wage-earning employment. The relative shortage of jobs experienced in recent years has strengthened the hold this standard has on us, even if more diverse forms of work has been emerging. Work and employment today has to adjust to several phenomena. First, the changing pace and nature of the integration of the world economy, which is no longer relational based on the exchange of goods and services, but structural. The activities themselves have become internationalized. Second, the reorganization of economic activity with the growth of services. Third reality we need to adjust to is a slowdown of productivity growth. Fourth is the fact that there are new forms of enterprise and work organization, and we are seeing modern governments adapting to this reality. The fifth idea is there's a difficulty of regulating the labor market. Conversely, in the sixth concept is this notion that there's less operational systems of labor law. And finally, as we've talked about when we looked at the gender lecture, as well as the ethnic minority lecture, as well as professional lecture, is that there's changing expectations from work, especially in regards to the trade-off between income and free time. In light of this diagnosis of the present situation, the major inescapable trends for the years to come are already clear. Foremost, there's an age pyramid is being inverted with the population aging. There will be increased geographical and occupational mobility. Patterns of work are changing and globalization is becoming more pronounced. Finally, expectations and values are being transformed and new demands are emerging in relation to social identity, protection, time use and training, and governments are not immune from these trends. There are two possible ways forward for an increasingly globalized economy. First is through an intensified international cooperation, which would help develop instruments of political action to regulate the consequences of globalization and encourage the development of a growth strategy. Or second, through a system of international cooperation, which, though inadequate, lastingly commits the world economy to a disharmonizing, exclusionist, and mercantilist logic of market shares.
We can argue that changes in work-related expectations and attitudes will depend on five determinants. The first is the values people place on work, money, and time. The second is the capacity to produce as much or more wealth with less labor. Third is the ability to invent activities which fulfill the same functions for the individual as employment but without the characteristics of paid employment. Fourth is a readiness to accept a redistribution of income. And finally, the fifth sort of determinant would be the type of regulatory mechanisms adopted. These factors in sum will determine whether present social attitudes are maintained, whether individual decisions come to predominate, whether regulation is based on collective bargaining in the conventional sense, or whether regulation through collective bargaining covers the whole package of employment, wages, time, and social protection. Future scenarios will depend on how these variables evolve. Cooperation and adjustment are the two distinctive attitudes shaping potential future scenarios. In fact, in one scenario, we can be, it can be characterized by a lack of cooperation. As a result, the nation in itself, its working population shrinks in proportionate terms, there's a persistent mass unemployment, and a preference for income rather than free time. Here, society becomes segmented and the state is bankrupt by social welfare spending on the unemployed. The second scenario is one of hyper-competition and that of unrestrained adjustment. Competition rules supreme. The state's role is therefore to reduce to the minimum. The trade unions will be further weakened. Deregulation leads to lower unemployment, accompanied by increased poverty, precarious working conditions, and inequality. In short, in the second scenario, social divisiveness grows. The third scenario, adjustment, involves a low level of international cooperation, but rapid changes in social behavior, expectations, and institutions. Consumption gains from individuals opting for free time and reduced working hours. Uh, active working life is prolonged. Working time and training time merges, and unemployment is reduced, and there's less strain on social cohesiveness. In the fourth scenario, there's cooperation at all levels. In combination with institutional reforms, albeit in training and labor law, the reorganization of activities through the life cycle, whether it's work, training, civic activities, leisure, and the creation of enterprise networks all come in a sort of a fora together. This growth makes it possible to loosen the stranglehold on short-termism and break with unemployment and economic insecurity. Irrespective of how these scenarios play out and which one becomes more dominant and which one becomes less so, there are some notable trends that will characterize the future of modern government. The first trend is a networking sort of organization. Field observation shows above all that the efficient organization has access to information networks, which allows it to pick up changes in its environment and to adjust quickly. Networking would make it possible to limit the economic uncertainty associated with subcontracting, for example.
Another salient trend we will see in modern government in the coming years is this concept of lifelong learning. Now, this is an idea that's gone back as far as Weber or as Taylor, as we discussed in our earlier lectures. But the underlying idea here is that training will be a lifelong process. Skills and qualifications are being redefined with problem-solving ability becoming just as important as know-how. We also will see a reduction of the working time. Two lessons can be learned from the past. Reduction of working hours is an adjustment method that is complicated to implement, but effective in increasing the employment intensity of growth, provided it is accompanied by genuine and socially desirable organizational change. Another lesson learned from the past when it comes to the reduction of working time is that compulsory, uniformly applicable state measures to shorten the working week with immediate effect must be ruled out. A multi-form, decentralized process to reduce working time cannot alone provide a satisfactory response to the full scale of the problem of unemployment and are not a reliable source of more employment-intensive growth. If we are to reduce statutory working time, it may be prudent to calculate it on an annual, not a weekly basis. Working time in the strictest sense of the term could thus be shortened by between 20 and 25% over the next two decades. The final major trend we are going to see in managing modern government in the coming years are activity contracts. Labor law, which is largely modeled on the standard of wage earning employment in a Taylorlistic organization, now faces a multiplicity of new forms of employment and work organization. Thus, today the relationship of subordination, which characterized the employment contract, is becoming more tenuous in the new systems of job assignments, new working time arrangements, and changing work hierarchies. And this is becoming more prevalent and understood in a post-COVID environment. There's a blurring of the legal boundaries that used typically to define the object of the employment contract as being directly performed and temporally quantifiable production work. It has become distinct from the person of the worker and directly related to the activity of the organization at large. The traditional model of full-time paid employment for a specified duration in a given occupation, which has prevailed since the beginning of the 20th century, is losing its standard-setting value. Thus, from the worker's point of view, mobility is going to be of great essence. An activity contract should be concluded between an individual and a number of employers organized in a network for a period of several years during which periods of employment under a conventional contract would alternate with periods of self-employment, training, or leave devoted to perhaps community or social service activities. As we reflect on the transformation of work, it's worthwhile going back to the sort of tailless conceptions of the work organization. As we recall in our early lectures, the tailless work organization may be said to have obeyed the rule of unity of time, place, and action, perhaps even to the extent of the sort of dramatists when structuring their plays. That is, workers gather together in one establishment for a fixed number of hours, performing given tasks. 
To this one may add that they enjoy the benefits of a contract of indefinite duration, a fixed wage based on time, work, and skills, and complete independence from their employer outside working hours. In the past few years, we've started to see a new era in government in which each of these components have been whittled away by the spread of new forms of employment. The key question for us to ask is, will the tearless model collapse? Perhaps the answer is a wholesale no, but nevertheless, it, the tailless organization, the sort of bureaucratic organization that's, that's inspired by Taylor and Weber, and through many of the theories we've discussed throughout the, our lectures, would gradually lose ground to an expanding gray area. Technological innovation and organizational changes have made their presence felt at the workplace by dissociating the worker from his or her machine, so to speak. Workers at all levels are having to become versatile, but their autonomy is limited by a new interdependence with other workers and teams. The concept of qualifications or skill is gradually shifting towards that of competence. We no longer talk of the worker performing a task, but of the operative who can handle uncertainty and solve problems. This is the sort of reality that we are going to see the modern government looking like in the coming years. This concludes our lecture on future prospects, and it also concludes our lecture series on managing modern government.